Hello, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to learn about the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. And it is a great honor for me to bring this conversation to you all today because in a world that is full of great and complex challenges like climate change or removing plastic and marine debris from the ocean or stopping it at its source and moving the world to a sustainable and circular economy, just to name a few, These are challenges that all too often feel so large and overwhelming that many of us get stuck on square one or caught in a cycle of thinking we can't make a difference because the problem is too big or not even knowing where to begin in the first place when we have an idea or come up with a solution. This is why I'm excited for you all to meet my guest today and hear about the incredible ocean cleanup missions that she and her team organize and embark on to remove plastic and fishing gear from the ocean. This is a conversation about taking ideas and putting them into action. Mary Crowley is the founder and executive director of Ocean Voyages Institute, which was established in 1979 as a public charity based in Sausalito, California, With the goal of conservation and preserving the ocean environment, maritime arts and sciences, and island cultures, Mary's lifelong passion for sailing, snorkeling, diving, and exploring the ocean has led her to log more than 90,000 nautical miles of exploring the world by yacht. Mary, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my honor to be with you, Jenna, and thank you so much. And um, I do love the ocean and love to share information about it. So we'll spend a great deal of the show talking about the ocean cleanup missions and your work. But I would like to start off by giving listeners an opportunity to get to know you better. So will you share a bit of your background with me? So things like where are you from and what sparked your love for the ocean and sailing? Uh, Well, I grew up in Chicago uh, within uh, walking distance, a block and a half or so from Lake Michigan. And uh, my grandfather had a 26-foot wooden boat and uh, they my father and mother loved sailing and we um, they have photos of me steering this boat when I was four years old I liked being on the boat and doing things around water from a very early age and um, you know I I then went on to have my own small sailing dinghy and race that and learn how to sail on a whole range of boats. And by the time I was in high school, um, my classmates were predicting I was going to be a sea captain. And when I finished college, um, I sort of always was attracted to uh, the East Coast or the West Coast. 
and I ended up um, moving out to the San Francisco Bay Area and continued um, further seafaring uh, adventures. I uh, taught people how to sail. I did jobs delivering boats from um, Panama to San Francisco or from Hawaii to San Diego or, you know, and I both started out as like first mate and then I captain trips. I got involved a lot in sailing education and teaching people how to sail. Uh, I got involved in running marine education programs and high school and college programs. So uh, my uh, love of sailing ended up giving me wonderful adventures sailing all over the world. I um, did two month-long trips to the Galapagos Islands. I sailed all through the Pacific. I sailed some on the West African coast and the Azores and Canary Islands and just really the world's oceans were uh, there to explore and I enjoyed exploring them all and it just continued to build my passion and love for our beautiful blue ocean which is really the blue heart of our planet. So it sounds to me like there were quite a few moments as you were growing up that were very formative and developing those values that you uh, you hold in terms of the importance of ocean protection and the work that you do. And, um, you know, when you reflect back on your path, I'm wondering if there is anybody or a group of people that stand out to you as those that influenced you most or... Um, you know, who were your mentors and who inspired you? Uh, oh, I've been very lucky to have many wonderful mentors along the way. Um, but one couple that certainly were very inspirational for me were George and Lillian Kiskadden. Um, they were the founders of Oceanic Society, which was sort of envisioned to be the Sierra Club of the Oceans. And um, George had quite a background as a professional merchant marine uh, captain. In fact, he was the youngest captain at one point. Um, and he had a passion for sailing. He uh, created a boat called Spirit which was a 33-foot Sparkman and Stevens designed, very fast boat. And Spirit has quite an interesting legacy as a little bit before my time, when George was sailing Spirit, he had a lot of the world's most famous yacht designers on board. He had them on board before they were famous yacht designers. There people like uh, Ron Holland, who is acknowledged as one of the premier designers of large sailing vessels. Um, and uh, Doug Peterson and 
Tom Wiley and uh, Gary Mole was a, a one of the people, and Bill Green, who was the founder of Green Marine and the pioneers in um, building carbon fiber vessels. And so all of these young men who went on to become real stars in the maritime industry were part of a group inspired by uh, George Kiscadden. And I got to, um, he built a second boat, which was a 68-foot schooner built in New Zealand. And we sort of pioneered doing participatory sailing trips on her. And um, we did um, a wonderful trip that I was part of uh, that was over a month-long trip beginning in Panama and going to Galapagos and going to Costa Rica. And so um, George, through both his love of sailing and sharing it with many, and uh, his, he was in, he had a company called Marine Chartering that chartered ships around the world. And obviously he and his wife founding Oceanic Society, um, he was the sort of person that I think taught all of us that were influenced by him that you could do just about anything you set out to do. It was just a matter of how much time and effort and money you were going to put into it. But the dreams were there to happen. And he uh, lived his life like that. And like I'm very close friends with Ron Holland, and sometimes when we're talking, he'll say, you know, Mary, the only thing that really has changed our lives and given us access to so many great adventures and accomplishments is we just said yes. Like Ron was a young man in New Zealand and he got invited to come to San Francisco by George Biscadden to help them um, with learning how to sail New World really well. And that changed the rest of his life. And, you know, I'd say that the sort of, I always was a person that had um, big dreams and, um, you know, I was blessed to have a good education and, but, George made my dreams even bigger. And um, so he certainly is one. He and his wife, Lillian, was just a very down-to-earth, practical person. I mean, I remember hearing the story. She had four children, and she once got thrown in jail with two children for trying to um, protest and help coal miners. And, you know, I, I think that the Kiscadens and, and many of the people involved are, are certainly the type of people that would be out today um, wanting the kind of equality in our world that is so badly needed. And so, you know, they, they were very influential. Um, and, and then there's other people, I'll say very briefly, because I'm in 
Hawaii now, um, you know, in connection with the Kiskadens and New World. When I came to Hawaii, I met a, a gentleman of Captain David Lyman, and he was a graduate of California Maritime Academy and an expert seaman. He was a senior ship's pilot. And he had a great love for people, and particularly Hawaiian people, people from all different island cultures. And, um, you know, Dave accomplished a lot for people along the waterfront. He was always uh, helping people get better maritime education. He was always caring about the environment. So I, I just met a lot of superheroes in terms of, of oceans or somebody like Sylvia Earle, who is such an inspiration to everyone in her call for paying attention to our ocean now. Well, I really appreciate you sharing about your mentors with me because it highlights the value of having strong and inclusive and encouraging leaders in our lives in terms of where our paths go and gives us a moment to pause and consider you know, who can we mentor as leaders in this world? And if, you know, if we're younger or embarking on a new path, um, you know, who might we want to reach out to, to uh, learn from and follow somebody else's lead and be inspired by? And, you know, I know that Personally, learning and hearing about the work that you're doing certainly energizes and inspires me. But I'm wondering, who do you hope to influence and inspire and motivate with the work that you are doing and the cleanup missions that you and your team are running? Well, thank you, Jenna. That's a, a great and important question. And um Basically, one of the most important parts of the whole mission of trying to restore health to our ocean uh, by removing the toxic plastics is it is an issue that is really accessible to everyone to be part of the solution. Um, you know, we all have right now so much plastic in our lives from the packaging that is used for shipping things, from to-go foods, from uh, all of the throwaway plastics, which I must say, you know, I for many years have been avoiding plastic knives and forks and spoons and plates and cups because there's something about them that has never seemed right to me. But, you know, we now see by this toxic proliferation that happens in our ocean of how deadly 
these plastics are um, to marine life, to reefs, um, you know, ultimately uh, lots of whales and dolphins and sea turtles get entangled in nets or they uh, eat small plastics, they eat things that end up killing them. And um, of course, all the seabirds and, you know, plastics are materials that are toxic and they last forever and they don't belong in our natural environment. And so it, it's something that everyone can help by making sure that plastics that they get get properly disposed of, which is not always easy, but also doing cleanups of their own yard or their neighborhood or beaches or harbors or rivers. And so I'm a great believer in cleanups every place. So I suppose I would hope to inspire people to know that we can all be part of solutions. And, and I think, you know, now is a particular moment in time where, um, you know, we, we see the world trying to grapple with the difficulties of, of the virus. Um, and we see people making big changes. And it sort of shows how we can make changes. And hopefully, you know, I want us to come out of this time with people feeling empowered to live the best possible lives they can live with the most love and kindness to their families, their neighbors, um, to, you know, everyone they come in contact with and also with that same kind of caring for our environment. Uh, a lot of people, you, you know, when Sylvia Earle is asked, you know, what's the biggest threat to our oceans today? She says, ignorance. Because a lot of people do not realize that, you know, over 70% of the air we breathe comes from our ocean. And so if we end up with an ocean ecosystem that is not functioning correctly, it affects the quality and health of, of our lives. And so, you know, I think the ocean is not only beautiful and a source of inspiration if you're able to sail on it and snorkel in it and uh, walk along its shores. Uh, but it's vitally important to our health. And, um, and we want a healthy ocean filled with a good environment for all the amazing creatures that inhabit it and for the coral reefs and, and everything. So I just, I, you know, people can make such a difference. I, you know, it is easy to feel 
that, oh, you know, some of these problems are so large. What can I, as one person, do? But the truth is that each person who lives with um, love and care and concern for environment and takes small actions or big actions makes a difference because they're uh, setting examples and teaching and and it just I, I know for me when I see tons of toxic plastic being removed from the ocean by our vessels, it just makes me so happy. And I've had, you know, similar happiness many years back when I'd be going along a river with a friend and we would just fill up our uh, inflatable with all of this plastic that shouldn't be there. And so, you know, there's a real joy in contributing to setting things correctly. So I, I think the more people can become empowered as individuals, um, the, the happier they are and the better job we will all do living with each other and living on our, in our precious environment. Yeah, and, you know, circling back to your thoughts on, you know, what Sylvia Earle always says about, you know, lack of action or stewardship is often linked to ignorance or lack of knowledge. And I think that is a, a very important point to address and a challenge that we working in the conservation community can struggle with at times is, is how do we connect folks to this large expanse of water that is the majority of our planet, that is the life source for everything on the planet, when we can't, we meaning the royal we of, you know, many of us cannot either visit the coast or get out on a boat. Um, and that is one of the reasons that I think that you are an incredible resource as someone who has physically been out on the water and witnessing how it has changed over time and how is it still changing. So does anything in particular stand out to you when you're thinking about what you're seeing out there today versus when you first started spending time on the water? Yes. One of the things that um, I really think was quite a, a contrast is um, when I headed out to the great Pacific garbage patch, as it is known, though I really do not like that name because it makes it sound like a patch is a small area. And in fact, the great Pacific garbage patch is, is probably the size of the United States. And it's a major issue that this area is filled with plastic debris. But in, in any instance, in 2009, Ocean Voyages Institute 
had two vessels headed out there. One was a sailing ship, a brigantine by the name of Kaisei, and the other was um, a script student vessel called New Horizon that we were able to uh, help fund so they could spend time with us. And we were doing this trip to the gyre uh, area so we could study scientifically what was going on and so we could also observe um, what the plastics out there looked like and from the perspective of figuring out the best ways to clean them up. So scientifically, one of the things we were studying were mctophids that are uh, important in the food chain. They're small uh, fish that um, eat plankton and then other fish eat them and we of course discovered that they were not only eating plankton but they were eating uh, small bits of plastic and the plastic was getting into the uh, food chain uh, of our ocean and all the toxins toxins within plastic um, and you know, we also found lots of debris. Um, we found many more um, fishing nets, um, called ghost nets, because they keep fishing even when they're out there in the ocean by themselves. They roll over in waves, they catch sea creatures, they catch other nets, they catch plastics. And we saw remarkable amounts of our own plastic trash. You know, we would be sailing along and you'd come to an area where you'd see over 4,000 big white laundry detergent bottles. And they wouldn't be, you know, crunched together, they'd be spread out for miles. And then you'd come and you'd see beer crates or soft drink crates, and you, you'd see um, buckets or, you know, all sorts of different plastic containers. So we learned a lot about the different things that were out there. But the, the contrast, because it made me think back to the previous time that I had sailed to this same part of the ocean. And that probably was um, about, oh, it, it was 15, 18 years um, earlier, uh, probably 18. And um, I went with Pete Sutter, who was quite a great sailor, and we actually went on Spirit, the boat he had bought from the Giscadens. And his idea was simply going out to the oceanic wilderness. Because if you're in San Francisco and you want, you have two, three weeks and you want to take a sailing trip, you know, your choice, you can go down the coast, um, but 
you know, you get to some great places, but it's not that long a time to go back and forth. So Pete came up with the idea of going to the Pacific high pressure area, which is, um, you know, a weather uh, high pressure. So it means it is very calm and sunny and beautiful. And so we sailed out not having a land destination, but having a sea destination. And it was amazing. We spent probably five days, six days out in the middle of this very calm patch of ocean, just observing and being there and watching the sunrise and sunset and moonrise and swimming and um, you know, it was, the ocean is deep there, and it was this beautiful, deep blue, pristine ocean. The only, we didn't see much out there. We did see, you know, it used to be that the Japanese glass fishing poles were, um, you know, prized possessions if you found them at sea. We saw a few of those, we maybe saw, you know, two pieces of plastic um, and the rest was just pristine. And, you know, it was really striking the difference in sailing out there in 2009 and seeing how much more accumulation. I mean, from what I know, Undoubtedly, when I was out there on the first trip, the whole issue of plastics in the ocean was already occurring, but it hadn't bubbled over to the extent that it has now. I mean, they were there, there maybe there were some areas that had heavier amounts of plastic, but we were in a very pristine area. And the difference, you know, the ocean is so beautiful if left to its own devices and gets pretty difficult to experience if it's filled with our garbage. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at LJA.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. 
They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. Yeah, and you know, it, when you were describing that, when your first trip out to the gyre, I was closing my eyes and listening. It was almost like a guided meditation because it sounds so beautiful and so impactful. And it breaks my heart just to hear. And I, I have never been out there, but I can envision, I've seen videos and photos and um, just the amount of damage that we have done and pollution that is now, um, you know, not just in the gyre, but throughout the entire ocean and down to the bottom of the deepest trenches that we have. And um, I, I really hope that with the efforts like what you and your team are doing um, combined with stopping this pollution at the source that, you know, I, I try to remain hopeful that we can get back to a healthier place where that ocean will return to um, and be able to heal like what, back to a place like your first trip out there. And I also think that you have a very unique perspective to share with our listeners who you know are mostly terrestrial beings about life at sea. And I'm wondering what it, what is it like to spend an extended amount of time out on the ocean and what is a you know a common day or what is the day to day like when you're out there? Oh, I, I there's many wonderful things about going to sea. Um, one of the things I I really love is is living a 24 hour day. Um, you know because you know when you're moving on the ocean, you're standing watches and it's you tend to see so many more of the events of nature. You know, when you're on night watch, the way you see the stars and the way you see falling stars and you, the way, uh, you know, the whole sky seems so accessible and so close. And, you know, you see lots of, sunrises and sunsets and moonrises and um you knew so the whole experience puts you very in touch and in tune with our natural world and i think the other thing i really love about going to see is the um camaraderie that's there with the people you're sailing with um, you know, your, your shipmates are very important to you. And there's, you know, lovely um, conversations and sharing that, that occurs. You know, talk about an environment, um, you know, where um, people really, it nourishes people realizing how much um, they can make a difference, you know, because any somebody that gets up and, you know, does a particularly good job making something good to eat or a particularly good job 
organizing and cleaning an area. You know, anything that everybody does is something that's really nice for the community. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sure that, that sailing um, is something that many, many people love and people get to experience it and they want to experience more of it. And, you know, sailing is probably not for everybody, but I think being close to nature in whatever way is comfortable for you is such an important teacher. Um, you know, so whether it's sailing or hiking or camping or gardening or, um, you know, any wide range of ways we get to explore our earth. I think that closeness with nature and closeness with other people you're exploring with are, are really significant and wonderful things. So thinking about teams and teamwork and community, um, you know, this is no small feat, these ocean cleanups. Um, and I imagine it takes a great deal of teamwork and collaboration. And I would love to hear more about the crew and the team of people behind all of this great work. Oh, that's my honor. I, I always um, love talking about um, all the people involved in accomplishing what, what we're doing. I, you know, just to give a big shout out for the crew of the sailing cargo ship Kauai, which is out there right now. And, uh, you know, because um, this vessel, when it's not out picking up garbage for us, does inter-island work delivering cargoes and picking up cargoes at remote islands. The crew has a particular expertise that we really value of um, lifting things on and off the ship. So they're the perfect crew to learn how to remove big pieces of uh, plastic debris, big pieces of gosnat, um, and they work very hard and they, they just do a wonderful job. Another particularly excellent thing about this crew and something that we want to continue having be an important part of our um, expanding expeditions over the year is um, about half the crew are from um, uh, Kiribati. And so they are island people. And through the affinity they have with the ocean, their home, um, they are so honored and excellent to be doing this cleanup work because they understand the importance of getting all these foreign substances out of um, their ocean home. And um, 
you know, the other half of the crew are um, really international. They're, you know, American and, and German, and well, there's a, a wonderful Hawaiian fellow, and, um, uh, you know, over the years on this vessel and others, you know, there have been French and Canadian and Australian and, uh, you know, this is a global issue and, and certainly a lot of great crews uh, are definitely global. So uh, the crew of Kauai is excellent in my future plans. Uh, you know, what we're doing right now is very important work. I mean, last year we got 42 tons uh, in 25 days of um, plastics. This year, our expedition will be around 47 days, and I think we'll be reaching hopefully just over 100 tons. Um, and we, um, you know, we have plans for expansion that I think are very important um, to the health of the ocean because, of course, uh, this area between uh, the Hawaiian Islands and the West Coast is considered to, and then it's also on the other side of Hawaii in the whole uh, island and reef area called the Monument. I mean, this whole region is considered to be one of the uh, highest accumulations, but there's also a lot in the Atlantic and a lot in the South Pacific gyre and a lot in the Indian Ocean and a lot in the Mediterranean. And so, you know, we have um, classified through our voyages and our studies and our small cleanup plastics into five different categories. And we have different solutions for each of them. And one of our mantras, so to speak, is using professional maritime equipment and professional maritime crews to accomplish effective cleanup. So we love the idea of repurposing and innovating with existing equipment, i.e. sailing cargo ships or other small cargo ships, work boats, fishing vessels, using oil skimmers to pick up crushed plastics one encounters in the ocean, using um, oil industry equipment to stop the flow of plastics from rivers. We have a couple innovators that have given us designs for things to test helping the microplastics issue. Um, and I think in going through talking about fishing boats um, earlier, I sh should mention that, you know, repurposing fishing vessels to pick up all the consumer plastics out there floating is a great use because we have overfished our poor ocean 
particularly with the factory fishing vessels and all the illegal fishing vessels. So using fishermen in fishing vessels to remove plastics and create a healthier environment and give fishing a break. It's one reason I believe so much in marine sanctuaries. You know, if you give fishing a break in an area, it replenishes. But if you don't do some of that, sometimes you can lose whole fisheries. So, you know, our ocean is at so many turning points and we get to choose to be good stewards of our precious ocean and help bring things back. And it's, it's such, you know, I know a lot of your audience are coastal people or people that have the experience of being along coastlines. And, you know, it's so much fun to be really helping create the kind of changes we need now. Yeah, I I agree 100%. And I, a common theme that I'm hearing throughout this conversation and that I love hearing throughout this conversation is the importance of teamwork and supporting each other and collaborating. Um, and I mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to highlight, you know, taking an idea and putting it into action. And um, this leads me to just wonder, you know, I, I think, you know, I do this all the time where I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm like, I have some sort of idea that I'm like, yo, I, I should do that. And then I just have no, I, no idea of how to start. And I think that can be a very large barrier for some people. And this is an incredible effort and I'm sure a lot of listeners and myself included are interested in hearing what had to happen for this to become a reality. Because I imagine that there was a lot of collaboration that was involved with turning this from, you know, an idea into practice. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Um, but if I can segue for a minute, because I'd love to answer that question, I realize I haven't spoken about our range of wonderful collaborators that we're involved in right now. Um, we've Ocean Voyages Institute has been, um, you know, really happy to be part of a wonderful NASA-funded collaboration uh, that some of the key people involved in are Dr. Nikolai Maximenko and his associate, Dr. Jan Hoffner, from the University of Hawaii uh, Pacific Research Center. And they are um, experts at modeling debris in um, our ocean. And they have been doing that for some time. They helped us with our 2009 and 2010, all our subsequent voyages, and we're working more and more closely together. We also work with 
Scripps and Dr. Luca Centuri. We work with Smithsonian collecting biological samples on our voyages. We work with um, um, Williams College. We work with the University of Washington's um, physics lab. In fact, we launched a very um, amazing device that was designed um, by one of our colleagues, Andre. And uh, he, um, you know, with this device is out there getting him all sorts of information. And then uh, we have colleagues that work uh, in Canada with Canada Fisheries and Biology. So, um, you know, Ocean Voyages Institute is the only small nonprofit with all of these much larger institutions. But the wonderful thing about this collaboration is we've had uh, oceanographers and biologists and physicists and me as a sailor. And we've all learned so much from each other and all the different um, disciplines. So there have been wonderful collaborations and then an added collaboration, we have uh, Davida Street, who is with NOAA and very in charge of looking at the ocean through satellite imagery. And we've been uh, working closely with Davida and her team and a series of other satellite companies trying to learn what these plastics we're picking up look like and we spot them with satellites can this be another tool um and so um you know there there are, are wonderful collaborations going on now and then to get back to your initial question um i think which was Partially, you know, what was sort of the instigation to get things started and um, actually going from being horrified about learning more and more about the plastics in the ocean and beginning to uh, pick them up. And um, I, I think, you know, you have a sense from everything we've talked about of the passionate love I have for the ocean. And, you know, as I traveled and returned to places like Galapagos or Belize or Indonesia, and, you know, you go places now and you're swimming or snorkeling, and sometimes you just start getting pieces of plastic hitting you, you know, I mean, it, just icky feeling and you realize how prolific plastic is getting um, in our ocean. And I guess, you know, as I started seeing it myself, getting reports from other vessels around the world, and then I started reading some articles and the articles sort of indicated you know, this problem is so huge, 
um, there's nothing we can do about it. And sometimes even now people say, oh, it's ridiculous to clean up. You have to stop the flow into the ocean before you clean up. Well, my response to that is a very strong one. I mean, I want to stop the flow into the ocean years ago. And yesterday, certainly, <laughs> as soon as possible. But, you know, we need to do both because the ocean has been used as this garbage pail, um, you know, quite dynamically um, since World War II. And, you know, with greater use of plastics, it means we have these objects in our ocean that last for hundreds of years. And so, you know, there's no time not to be addressing this issue on all fronts. And I am a big advocate for change. No more throwaway plastics, different packaging. I give big credit, we don't have time to go into it all today, <laughs> but to innovators working in those areas. And that's all very important work. But it's because I'm such an ocean person, I think that cleaning the ocean, which also needs to be done yesterday, I mean, it's, we need to scale up our efforts. You know, one wonderful thing about Ocean Voyages Institute is that our goal is to help clean up the ocean everywhere, all the places that it's needed. And, you know, we're happy to share our technologies and knowledge and partner with local people in areas. You know, we're not at all invested, as you might imagine, in being the one cleaning all the ocean. We just want to help people know that yes, we can clean this up. Yes, we can make a change. And yes, we have to and be inspiring action and helping feed action. I mean, my dream would be to have enough funding to you know, enlarge the scope of what we're doing and to have seed monies to help other groups that are being besieged by plastic in their coastal area or their island nation and to really um, address this on a global issue. And through the wonderful network of maritime industry friends and colleagues and collaborators, I'm blessed with a lot of um, very um, wise professional people that can help us expand very quickly in our efforts. And so I've heard you mention a few times the use of technology between partnering with groups to use satellite data um, and, you know, the importance of technology to track this debris and pollution. Will you talk a little more about how you all locate the debris and track it and the kind of technology you use and what happens to the debris after it's removed? Great questions, Jenna. Thanks. 
um, basically um, a technology we um, started developing in 2017 and using in 2018 are our GPS satellite trackers. And um, these, um, Andy, say, Bronte, um, is an engineer and uh, his company uh, helped us in creating these. And they're quite amazing because we've, um, you know, they look like a, um, about the size of a soccer ball. And, um, you know, we have a tether on them and then we have a carabiner that allows them to be put onto nets or other pieces of plastic. But these devices are very special in that they have really long battery life. They can easily uh, last in the ocean for a year and a half, two years. Um, and we set them typically to be reporting to us every 12 hours. But when we're running a cleanup mission, you know, we can change that setting to every four hours and then to every hour when we're going to pick them up. And you'll remember, you know, earlier in describing what you see out there, you know, a sea of laundry detergent bottles. Um, clearly, the ocean and its currents sort debris. There's sort of a famous story about uh, uh, containers of shoes being dumped off a ship in a storm. And this was a long time ago, and the containers opened up and the shoes got spewed out of their boxes and kind of the left shoes went in one direction, and the right shoes went in another direction. And so this kind of <laughs> sorting of the ocean, I figured also occurred with nets and debris. And so um, we have used these GPS satellite trackers to uh, give them to vessels crossing the gyre area, asking them to tag nets and other large pieces of debris. And um, these uh, trackers actually are beacons leading us to uh, very good areas of debris concentration. So they've been, you know, a, a tag net doesn't typically get us just that net. There may be a dozen other small and large nets in that same area or consumer debris that we pick up. So, you know, some of the technologies we're currently using are these trackers. We also use drones and fly patterns for that same kind of reason. The way the ocean sorts things, we want to expand the range of what we can see and explore beyond just the ship. But, you know, it is very exciting to be looking at 
is there a way we can use satellites to help us um, see these areas? Because as you sense, our focus is um, on this global issue. And so we want to use all the best tools we can. Um, then in terms of um, what we do with the plastic, um, you know, it's our um, promise that uh, none of the plastic we bring in is going to end up in landfills, that it will all be uh, recycled and repurposed. And what we did last year with the 42 tons we brought in is we gave a couple of tons to artists um, and to the graduate art program at the University of Hawaii so they could make edu educational pieces, um, you know, telling people about the dire and the issue. And um, some amazing art has been done with them. Um, and the rest went to Beach Power, which is Hawaii Power, uh, that uh, turns the uh, nets into power for the homes in Hawaii. Um, this year, we are branching out on uh, and doing additional things. We will still have materials available for artists. Um, we will be um, sending some things to be turned into fuel. Um, and we also um, are working um, with a wonderful uh, lady um, that has um, a company um, where she's turning uh, plastics from the ocean into building materials, including insulation materials. And so we are always exploring. I have some wonderful volunteers that look at all of the different potential uses. And we're trying to um, do things that make sense in terms of, um, you know, create good products that aren't harmful in, in any way. And we're looking to get as much circular economy involved as possible. You know, we view that picking up debris from the ocean is never going to be a profitable business. But we do feel an obligation to try to create that circular economy piece so that some portion of funding future missions comes from uh, receiving some financial compensation for the different uses. Because it is becoming, you know, as people get better educated about the importance of ocean cleanup, uh, corporations that are supporting ocean cleanup or recycling, reusing plastics appropriately from the ocean 
um, it's it's a very positive kind of uh, advertising because people realize the importance of the work. I am just I'm feeling so inspired and. I, I just think it's so amazing to hear about all of this collaboration and innovation that's happening in the name of finding solutions uh, to this, this, you know, very large problem. But it's so nice to hear about the work that you all are doing and your partners are doing and just how many people are involved in this effort. And I think that it is a really important point to underscore that yes, Mary and her team are doing incredibly important and impactful work, but we can't let them go it alone. And we as individuals and organizations and companies all play a role in keeping plastic and marine debris out of the ocean in the first place. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to following along with these efforts into the future. I feel like there's so much to talk about that I could like have you on for another hour plus. Um, I have so many questions and I'm so fascinated with your experience and your knowledge and everything that you and your team do. And, you know, I'm really, I'm just excited to follow along with future cleanup missions and continuing to push myself to do my part to stop plastic and marine debris at the source. And when I'm thinking about your future as an organization and the cleanup missions and where you all are going, I then get curious to hear from you about, you know, what do you have planned next and how can people either get involved or follow along? Well, that's a, a good question. Um, you know, we do, of course, have our website. Um, I, it's a long name, but it's simple. It's Ocean Voyages Institute org, um, and um, we also are can be found on Instagram. Um, our Twitter handle is Ocean Cleanup. Um, and we're on Facebook. And so um, we love to have people follow us. And um, honestly, um, you know, I have been so focused on making this another successful expedition and meeting our goals. We haven't been great at sharing along the way but uh, I have some good people that are going to be beginning to um, post lots of things about the success of our mission. I really appreciate people spreading the word of what we're doing, you know, reposting and sharing things that we put out. Um, funding for our programs is always um, so important and you know, we are funded by lots of individuals that love the ocean, you know, surfers and sailors and swimmers and uh, people that admire the ocean from afar. I mean, I, I know some people that, uh, that love funding us and they're people who have read lots of ocean books and understand so much 
the importance of the ocean. So, um, you know, Ocean Voyages Institute org um, there is a donate button there um, you know we welcome people calling us our office is located in Sausalito California we welcome people that that want to participate in a range of ways our our funding seems to be from as I said lots of people and then um, luckily we have some um, family foundations and variety of companies. So large and small funding is all really appreciated because um, it, it's such wonderful work to be actually successfully cleaning this toxic garbage out of our precious ocean. And to wrap up my show, I've I've gotten into a pattern of asking my guests a series of the same question in order to gain any last insight that I can from the people that I welcome on my show. And I, I do this because I just consider it a great honor and a privilege to have this platform to sit down and have these amazing discussions with people like yourself. And um you know, just to wrap up, try to share any last insight that we can with with the listeners. So starting with, what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we are faced with? Well, you know, when, when I attended the United Nations um, Conference on Oceans, the first one, um, it was wisely said there, uh, that our ocean ecosystem is the ecosystem that's in the most trouble. So I really feel that concentrating on things that help our ocean right now is, is one right up there because uh, we really need to help restore the ocean now. And what are you hopeful for moving forward? Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm, well, I know I'm hopeful for um, sort of what we were talking about earlier, kind of a positive spread of activism, of people realizing what a difference they can make. And I feel this is particularly true um, with the whole issue of plastics and the choices that individuals get to make in terms of what they buy, what they use. Uh, you know, people can, can vote with their dollars and try to vote for changes that are healthier for the planet and people can um, support organizations doing a range of good work for our ocean. So this last one is a bit of a two-part question. So starting with what is the best advice that you've ever been given? And then on the flip side of that, what advice do you have for our listeners? So I, I think some of the best advice that I've 
ever been given is to um, follow your dreams, follow your passions, feel that you can do the things that you set out to do that are important to you. And, you know, this is advice I've gotten from many different sources over the years. Uh, George Kiscadden, who we talked about earlier, variety of captains and environmentalists and the whole ability to really follow your dreams and to uh, take action on doing the things you believe are important and need to be done. Um, and so that that has been advice to me. And I guess that's similar to the advice I would give to other people. You know, I think we all have unique things to give and accomplish to our fam with our families and our communities and in our world. And everybody's unique gifts, the more they're able to fulfill their own dreams and work in the directions that they're passionate about, whether it is creating beautiful music that inspires people or art or theater um, or doing um, great inventions that make quality of life and environment better or if it's working directly on helping our crucial environmental issues today, which, you know, I think ocean and climate change are, are right at the top and very intertwined. And so I just uh, encourage people to um, believe in themselves and to um, move forward doing the things that they are, are passionate about. Very sage advice and well said. And Mary, I just thank you and your team so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate you taking time out of your day to share your experience and insights with me and the listeners. Well, Jenna, I, I love the work that you do and appreciate that. I'm honored to have had the this conversation with you and I hope we can have more because you know we will be continuing to expand and explore and work on more innovations and a larger solution filled future and so it would be an honor to come back and talk with you again. Thank you so much. I would love to have you back on and we will be sure to follow along with your work and keep the listeners updated on the progress. Um, and, you know, there's so much to talk about that I agree. I think that this would be an, an incredible uh, opportunity to, to have you back on the show. And I, I also would like to thank 
the listeners. If you liked this episode and want to hear more of the Sea Change podcast or other shows like this one, check out the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, subscribes, rates, and reviews are welcome and appreciated. If you'd like to connect with us online, we are at Coastal News 365 on Twitter and Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Facebook. You can connect with me personally on Twitter. It is at Yenna Benna, that's Y-E-N-N-A-B-E-N-N-A, and Instagram, it is the same thing, but Yenna has three N's in it. So find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. <laughs>